0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode uh, 87 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So it's election season in the United States. Uh, We're, I think, like four or five weeks away from Election Day. And uh, candidates are busy spending lots and lots of money on, uh, on advertisements. Their first debate is actually tonight. Um, millions and millions and millions of dollars are going to get are going to be spent to try engage in, try to engage in the process of political persuasion. So I figured in in this episode I talk about uh, what we know is the only surefire way to change someone's political opinion. Uh, so let me just start by saying that, like I, I think most of political communication these days is about amplifying the kinds of perspectives that already exist in constituencies that are already adhere to the positions and beliefs of one party or another so most of the democratic the democratic party um occupies the by far the popular positions policy positions uh being debated for the day uh the question for them is can we get enough democrats out to vote on election day um the Republicans sort of in, in the U.S. at least seem to enjoy a little bit more enthusiasm. So their voters tend to show up at the polls and vote. But really, like Donald Trump is not trying to persuade anyone of anything, really. He's just trying to gin up for support for his already existing group of from his already existing group of, of supporters. Um, so a lot of political persuasion is just about amplifying the feelings already, feelings of commitment that already, people already feel to their political party or their preferred political candidate, et cetera, which is a real shame. I think democracy loses out when we opt out of the process of persuasion. Uh, so today I'm not gonna talk about advertisement that's to, advertisements or anything that tries, try to um, amplify those feelings. Uh, I wanna talk about actually changing someone's mind. So uh, someone who is committed to uh, voting for a Republican or believes in Republican positions or committed to voting for a Democrat and believes in Democratic positions How do you convince them or change their mind to vote for the opposite political party? Um, And so here, what I'm talking about are people that are really dug in, uh, that really are committed or wedded to their beliefs. And then uh, I'm trying to ask the question, what communication practices do we have available to us to talk to those people that are really dug in and to change their mind? Um, and if you can think, I think the best way to think about this is, is about you know, prejudice. Uh, so, people that have pre existing prejudices, how do you help them become less prejudiced? Like, that's a really tough question. Um, so, uh, let's take an example for starters. In November 2008, um, California residents were voting on what was called Proposition 8, that was a measure that proposed banning same sex marriage in the state. Now, given California's somewhat kind of liberal leanings, uh, we would think that the measure would be defeated. and uh, But that's not what happens. Okay, the measure passed. And it was a huge blow to the community. Uh, and people were pretty shocked and pretty outraged. They didn't know what to make of that situation. Uh, so they tried to make sense of why Proposition 8, you know, was, um, why Proposition 8 passed. And they didn't want to make s- a set of assumptions about the people who voted against them or, or for the proposition they wanted to just ask those people what they thought so they decided the the kind of uh, uh, a group of people decided to go to the neighborhoods where they had lost and they wanted to seek out the voters who had voted against them and ask them why they did that um this was mostly the los angeles lgbt center um, a guy named david fleischer and his team they went to the heart of the counties that they lost um and those were counties where people were staunchly opposed to gay marriage. They, they alleged to hate gay and lesbian people. And uh, so canvassers went and started knocking on doors to talk to the Prop 8 supporters to try to understand their perspective. Now, political canvassing is not new. It's, it's a common technique, and it usually follows a designed script. So what normally happens is a political consultant comes along Crafts a message and the canvassers job is to deliver the pitch from the message word for word They literally spew facts and figures to try to convince someone to go along with their position Those conversations are usually pretty one-sided and they often feel forced It's like being lectured at and if you've been listening to that this podcast It's like experiencing push tactic of persuasion And then not surprisingly push tactics of persuasion just don't work Uh, So after Proposition 8, the team that went went canvassing tried to stop talking and start listening. So they didn't give them a script, they just went and said to the canvassers, ask people why they felt the way they did. And they had 15,000 one-on-one conversations, Uh, and that team learned a whole bunch. They didn't learn just about people's preferences regarding gay marriage, but they also learned a little bit about the process of persuasion. Uh, they ended up going through different iterations of scripts before they finally settled on one they liked, and they called this new script deep canvassing. Uh, so that's sort of what I want to talk about today, um, and you know this deep canvassing technique. You know they, they showed these guys that did deep canvassing. They showed their approach to a political scientist, and I'm not going to say who this professor was. But the professor was pretty skeptical skeptical and and said and i'm quoting here there's no reason to think that it'd be successful because nobody succeeds that way um so you know that that political science professor is dead wrong uh so now we have all sorts of all sorts of data that this deep canvassing worked um so more than 50 canvassers go out uh to more than 500 voters and they went out to these voters in order to have tough conversations, conversations that were kind of fraught with emotion. People against the legislation weren't just uh, casually opposed; they were they were really, really strongly opposed. Um, but they found afterward that a single ten-minute deep canvassing conversation made the voters that were strongly opposed significantly more accepting of the view uh, that gay marriage should be should be legal. They had more positive feelings toward transgender people afterward. They were more supportive of laws, protecting them from discrimination, et cetera. Uh, And the effect wasn't just short-lived. The the effect persisted months after the canvassers had stopped by. It even withstood exposure to attack ads from the opposition. So whatever happens in these these 10-minute deep canvassing conversations, we know the effects that they had. And they they were good. They were really positive. They can durably change people's minds about a challenging or um, a challenging issue or an issue around which there's really strong feelings. So, um, okay, what, what's the difference between conventional canvassing and deep canvassing? Conventional canvassing is a little like being a mailman, you know, you just sort of drop off the information at one house and then you go to the next house. You want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. Uh, And you can see that in how canvassers practice like a group of trainees will divide in half form two lines and pair up and uh, One will pretend they're the canvasser and one will pretend they're the voter and the winner is the canvasser who is the briefest This is totally stupid that, that this is how things used to work. Deep canvassing takes a lot longer The first and foremost goal is to get the voter to be honest not the canvasser so you have to get the voter to have a frank candid interaction usually about a complex and often emotionally charged issue. That's not happening in 60 seconds or 90 seconds. It takes about 10 minutes. So you have to be willing to invest time in what it takes to connect. So actually, the longer the conversation, the more likely there there is success. So it's the opposite of what traditional political canvassing looks like. Uh, You're trying also to show the voter that it's safe for them to say whatever it is they feel they need to say whether they think the canvasser will like it or not. So the voter has to feel as if he or she can be directly honest, regardless of the canvasser's uh, position or likelihood or how their canvasser might respond. Um, So let's say uh, a canvasser who's gay knocks on someone's house and and asks about Proposition 8. And the person says, well, you know, I don't like and uses some derogatory term to describe gay people, uh, the the canvasser cannot get angry. The canvasser has to stay neutral and objective and calm and allow the person, the voter, to continue to express their authentic thoughts. So um, the canvasser would say something like, you know, let's say the the voter uses a, a slur to describe gay people. The canvasser might say something like, is that what you refer to Uh, Is that how you refer to gay people? Um, You know, they're trying to draw out in a polite way more uh, a more authentic descriptor from that person Uh, Okay, so you're trying to so One it takes a long time Two, the voter has to feel like they can say whatever it is that they want to say Here comes three though Um, so Let's say you knock on the door, you're gay, the, the person uses a gay slur, you say, oh, is that how you refer to all gay people? And the person says more terrible things about gay people. Cool, what does the canvasser do then? Uh, the canvasser says, so for me, I'm gay. And rather than lecture the voter, the canvasser begins to tell her personalized story. And then you tell your personalized story in a way that gets the voter interested in your story. And you allow the voter to ask you questions, personal questions, if you want, about your story. So you know the the voter may you know if the voter is prejudiced against gay people might say, well, when did you decide to be gay? And the canvasser might say something like, well, it wasn't really a choice or a decision. It's just who I am, uh, and here's how I know it's just who I am. Um, the canvasser might also talk about how much he or she loves her part or his or her partner. Um, what it's like raising a kid, uh, et cetera. So what you're trying to do is create some sort of connection um, between yourself the canvasser and the voter. Uh, So traditionally when we, so okay, that's step one is to recognize it takes some time. Step two is to try and get the the voter to to talk exactly honestly as they, they want. Step three is to tell some feature of your personal story. Step four is to try to take the other person's perspective, try to create some sort of empathy between the canvasser and the voter. Uh, Usually we think about taking another person's perspectives in terms of putting putting someone someone else's shoes on, getting out of your own head to see something from someone else's eyes. That works well when people can easily imagine what the other perspective is like, but it works less well if you you find it hard to imagine that other perspective. Um, So instead, deep canvassing involves um, encouraging a voter to find a parallel situation from their own experience. So not imagining what it's like to be someone else, but imagining a time when the voter felt something similarly. So let's say I'm gay, I tell the, the voter, yes, well, I'm gay and this is my story. And the voter stops and says, all right, well, I don't want the voter to know what it what it's like to be gay. I want the voter to feel to remind, remember a time when the voter felt something similar to how I feel as a gay person in the world. Um, maybe let me change the the metaphor a little bit. Like, let's say you're a straight A student. Uh, so my son is, is having a very easy time in school. He gets A's. School is too easy for him. He doesn't struggle with it at all. Um, if I ask him what it's like what he thinks it's like for someone to struggle academically, they have he has no, sympathy, no empathy for that. He doesn't understand. It. He's like, well, why can't people just succeed academically? Uh, but whether it's in academics or not, odds are uh, he will have struggled at something in his life. So the key is to get him thinking about how he felt when he struggled with that thing. Uh, and that will help him better understand what someone struggling academically is going through. So deep canvassing uses that to reduce prejudice or antagonism toward a position. It's hard to imagine what life is like for someone else, particularly if that person is a different race or gender or sexual orientation. So you can ask most 45-year-old white men, for example, to imagine what it's like to be discriminated against, but they don't get it because they haven't been discriminated against. Uh, Even if they try to take the perspective of a person who has been discriminated against, they've probably never wondered whether... um, they probably never wondered about specific circumstances of that discrimination. So rather than asking a voter to imagine what it's like to be, say, gay or transgendered, canvassers asked voters to find analogous experiences in their own lives. Um, So the canvasser might ask a voter to think about a time when they were judged negatively for being different. And then then they, they elicit the story from the voter about that similar experience or that similar feeling. And then the canvasser encourages them to see how their own experiences offer a window into what it's like to be gay or, or transgender, transgendered or, or whatever. Um, so you see, you okay, so step one, it takes a long time. Step two, you get the, the person at the, the voter to say whatever it is they think, exactly how they feel. Step three, you kind of tell your story. Step four, you encourage the voter to tell their story About a thing that's similar to the the emotion or the feeling that you're trying to capture in your story. Um, So deep canvassing basically works because it switches the field. Instead of starting with some contentious issue, uh, instead of starting in the place where you're far apart, you're looking for a place where you're closer together. Uh, You're looking for a place of agreement rather than disagreement. You're looking for... A point at which you share something with that other person and you're using the 10-minute conversation to manufacture that feeling or that point of connectedness between you and the voter um, it's easy if you're asking people about change transgender rights abortion or any other complex politically laden topic it's easy to shoot things down that feel like they far, fall too far away from one's own position uh, it's sort of like staunch conservatives might be sitting on their 10-yard line, uh, and the idea of transgender rights are so far away. They're way down the field. There's this huge distance. But deep canvassing is an attempt to change the conversation, to make an abstract debate something concrete, um, and to make it not directly about transgender rights, first and foremost. It's about the the feelings and the perspectives of the two people, the canvasser and the voter. Um, so I think um, so even if you start with it, the point is here, even if you start with a tough issue that seems divisive, deep canvassing gets you to start with common ground, something everyone can rally around or relate to. And then, as I said in this podcast before, first you connect, then you convince. Only after building that connection do the deep canvassers uh, bend around and pivot to the political question. So Proposition 8 or whatever it is. Um, you know, In, in other words, f- after you've made the connection, you make the ask for the political proposition. Um, so deep canvassing, it turns out, had more than just a small effect. The impact was very, very sizable. The conversation usually lasted around 10 minutes, uh, but its effect was larger than the change in attitudes toward gays and lesbians in the United States between 1998 and 2012 in, in totality. In other words, you know those series of ten minute conversations uh held by those deep canvassers in California in a few month period was more effective than fifteen years uh, of of mass communication work uh, in that same uh, around attitudes toward gays and and lesbians in the United States um. And it wasn't just people. The people who changed their mind weren't just people, kind of in the middle, who were kind of wishy-washy on on the issue. Deep canvassing worked well, regardless of the person's pre-existing beliefs or the the the, the, the amount of conviction those people held about those pre-existing beliefs. Uh, so, what does this mean for you? Okay, let's say you have a boss that doesn't support an initiative because they think it'll cost too much or because they don't like your idea. Let's say you're dealing with a colleague who doesn't believe. The company is any good because he thinks uh, the company is too much like a kind of contemporary tech company with too squishy, uh, too much playtime, whatever. Um, What do you do? You can practice a version of deep canvassing instead of pushing hard, instead of using push tactics of persuasion. You can try the same thing where you get people to authentically express themselves, tell your story, and then find a point of connection and try to elicit a similar or analogous story from the other person Uh, that will manufacture a kind of point of agreement and that point of agreement can be the starting point for all sorts of change Um, so in the last episode i think i talked about reactance as an obstacle to persuasion Uh, well the other obstacle to persuasion is distance and so uh, distance is a kind of product The distance is overcome by deep canvassing like techniques. And so if you've been watching, if you've been listening, sorry, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or lots of episodes, deep canvassing kind of summarizes and pulls together several strands of communication practice that we've been talking about. You know, it seeks out common ground and connection. It uses empathy, it uses listening, it uses story. It uses all this stuff to shrink the distance between two people. And that distance can be an enormous threat to the process of persuasion. So if you see other people as so far away from you, um, and so different, and so alien, uh, you're able to demonize them and to not rationally entertain them, not think about them, uh, not, not be reasonable in response to their requests, etc. But if you feel closer to them, if you feel connected to them, You can't do any of those things. You have to be responsive to their thoughts and their ideas. So deep canvassing uh, kind of sets up the process of persuasion more effectively than political advertisements and other other things seem to do. Um, All right. So that's it for episode 86. I have no idea if Joe Biden's doing any deep canvassing. I don't think so. I think the U.S. election largely right now is about who can get out the the votes. and, And that's pretty much it. Barack Obama did some version of deep canvassing in his first election, uh, and it worked really, really effectively. Hillary Clinton did essentially none, to my knowledge, and uh, obviously the results were disastrous. Uh, so, you know, my advice to anybody running a national campaign, um, in, in Canada here, uh, the NDP, uh, which is the far-left party, does no deep canvassing at all, at all, as far as I can tell, and they will continue to be a uh, losing party as long as they refuse to do any degree of deep, canv- deep canvassing. Uh, I think the same is largely true for the Liberals and the Conservatives in Canada. Um, but alas, um, you know, maybe one day they will try it and, and there'll be a kind of wave of political change. Uh, so that's it for episode 86. I'll be back again. Well, sorry, it was this episode 87, actually. So I'll be back again uh, in a week or so with another new episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening.